Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Hi, everyone. I am so excited today to introduce Harriet Whaley-Cohen, my, my good friend. She's a speaker, she's a coach, and she works mostly with, with women. Her approach is to show people how to become in total partnership with themselves in absolutely every area of their life. And this leads to high levels of confidence, self-esteem, emotional and physical health, pleasure, happiness, life balance, and success. So you've just done so many things. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Petra. I'm really thrilled to be on your show. Yay. I was so excited when I saw that you were starting this up and, and really, you know, like put my hands up like the eager kid at school. I was like, me, did. me, you I want to do this. I want to be on your show. So thank you for, Thanks for inviting coming. me. Yeah. And as you know, we just want to capture people's stories, the, the good, the bad and the ugly and share some yep. tips and tricks about how uh, you've come through things, um, what you've learned so that our listeners can learn from you and your amazing story. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, so let's go right to the beginning. Let's start right fresh when you're a young girl. Tell us just, give us a little bit of context about what it was like growing up, your parents, siblings, what was that like? Okay. Um, so let's set the scene. So I am, um, for want of a better expression, quite a posh, privileged kid. Um, and I make no bones about that. I'm very comfortable. That's, that's where I was very, very lucky enough to pop out. Um, I come from a big old English Jewish family. Um, I grew up in very smart parts of London. Um, I'm number two of three kids, me and my two brothers. Um, and then my father and mother separated mm. and eventually got divorced. And then my father remarried and had two more children. So I'm kind of the number two of five as well. Okay. And those two sec of the second batch are both girls. And um, we all get on like a house on fire, actually. And um, so, yeah, so as I was growing up, there was that split family thing um, of going between one family and the other. And then, as was the tradition for both my mom and my dad, and my stepmother, actually, um, that we were all sent off to boarding school when we were young. So my older brother went when he just turned eight, as did my younger brother. Um, and I went a year older than them. I went when I just turned nine. So there was an awful lot of back and forth, packing and unpacking, mm. um, and all of that going on when I was growing up. I would say that on the outside, it all looks very privileged. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, living in all the nicest places and going to amazing schools, which I'm, I'm very lucky to have had the education I did. However, I do think that in terms of um, the emotional stuff, it was just like any other family um, that's had splits and all kinds of other stuff going on. It's not, it's not straightforward. So, Amazing. Yeah. And do you think your, your parents or school, your ed the education system kind of prepared you for the reality of what life would be as an adult? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> she laughs. 
No. <laughs> like, really, no. I don't think so. I think that um, it prepared me for being able to make sure that I had the right amount of change in a shop when I paid. And it ensured that I could um, perhaps, you know, show up on time and the kind of things that you needed for your professional life. In terms of pre preparing for the emotional side of life mm. and really important stuff like relationships, how to spot complete idiots, how to spot people who aren't going to treat you very well, all that kind of stuff, zero preparation. Either from a school perspective, I just think that was not part of the curriculum back then. I know a lot of schools are, do that now and they do it really well. Um, but that just simply wasn't part of the curriculum back in, back in the um, 80s and early 90s. Um, and I think from my parents' perspective as well, because when I think about them and the way that their parents grew up and therefore what, you know, the role modelling that they'd had, their parents, you know, both my parents were born right at the end of the, the Second World War in 1946. Mm. Their parents had kind of grown up through the wars and it was all very much the stiff British supper lip, like, you know, it doesn't matter how bad things are, you just keep going. Get on with it. Um, however bad you think it is, well, you know, there's a lot of people who are a lot worse off than you, and we're lucky we've got food, we're lucky we, we haven't lost anybody in the family, or whatever it was. Um, yeah, very much that stiff upper lip. And, and they were categorically not taught how to handle their emotions or how to um, do any of that stuff. So, so sort of a generational... I impact. think so, yeah. very much so, very much so, in the same way that um, there's no way that my, my parents could probably teach my kids um, sure. about modern technology Quite. because they mm -hmm. simply don't know what it is or whatever. Um, you know, my kids can teach them about Minecraft. Maybe my kids can, could teach my parents a thing or two about emotional intelligence too. So, so what was the impact in your life of maybe not receiving that emotional intelligence lesson? Um, I think um, I think the impact, I'd say it would probably goes deeper than not receiving mm -hmm. emotional intelligence. And, and for anyone who's wondering, like, what is this thing, emotional intelligence? It's, it's about lots of things, but it's primarily about how you handle your own emotions, how you handle um, knowing that other pe your behaviour will impact other people's emotions. So it it's about you know different aspects of self-management and relationship management. Um, I think more than that, because I think I was actively discouraged from expressing my emotions by when I did express them um, by being ignored or shamed, for want of a better expression so that I learned that it wasn't actually very safe or that I wouldn't get a good response. And I don't think this was done on purpose. I think they, you know, teachers, family, whoever, were doing the very best that they could. Sure. But that was how things were handled back then. And um, the message to you And the message that? that I received was, it's not safe to express your emotions. Your emotions are not right either mm. um, because I hadn't had good responses. So I thought that, the way I felt about things was wrong. So I was constantly questioning myself. And, and I learned, like, don't show your emotions, don't trust your emotions, don't trust your judgment, and you don't have a right to speak up for yourself. That's not a very good starting point, right? And the impact of that was that later on, um, in my early romantic relationships, that um, I put up with all sorts of bad behavior because I 
thought that I didn't have a voice and I thought that the way that I felt was probably not valid so that when they confirmed that in order to kind of get away with their own bad behaviour I thought that's how it was. So you sort of accepted it? Yeah, said nothing. I took it on board and I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe they are all right then. It didn't set me up for being able to stand up for myself or to make good judgments about what was about being treated right or not being treated right or any of that, unfortunately. So what did that lead to for you? Um, it led to, um, I mean, I'm happy to talk about the relationship that, that I first got into, which mm. was when I was really just turning 17. I think I met this guy when I was 16 and, and then things became more than friendship sort of around that summertime when I was 16 turning 17. Um, he was, you know, much older in his um, late 20s, I think. I don't remember the age gap now. Um, and he was leading this very glamorous lifestyle, or so it seemed, mm -hmm. promoting nightclubs with all the models and the pop stars and all the cool people in London. Yeah. And for someone who didn't actually feel all that great about themselves, which I didn't at that point... Um, it just felt like this ticket to being validated, being with him. But he, being older and more experienced and also not being such a nice character, really took advantage of that. And um, he, um, he behaved pretty badly towards me. But by then I'd got so entrenched in it and he'd, he'd done that thing that a lot of these abusive characters do, getting you very isolated from your family and friends. And, and he'd managed to convince me um, of things that I know are not true now about my family but at the time it was easy given how I'd felt not listened to by them that, that he was able to convince me of that stuff it was all a bit raw and unprocessed so it was very easy for him to kind of get me away from my family and friends and then all, all kinds of um, not good things happened you know he was um, he was very not kind emotionally he was um he was abusive on so many different levels, whether that was financially or spiritually or on more physical levels as well. Um, and really, it's that thing where you, you think, OK, I will never let this happen. And then that thing happens. And then you're like, OK, and you're, you're constantly redrawing the, your own line of what's acceptable and what's not. And you get so far away from it that you get totally lost. And, and I got to that point of being so totally lost with what I thought was right or wrong or acceptable or unacceptable I just didn't know what to do and, and I know I didn't have any tools for how to cope with that and I didn't know how to reach out for help and I was not really close particularly with my family at that time um, I didn't really know who to reach out to for help so I, I, um, I started to just do whatever I could to hide from what was mm. happening and suppress my feelings. It's almost that shame thing yeah, again, yeah, hiding yeah. away. My, my, I, my answer was not, let's deal with this shitty situation. It's sure. like, let's pretend this shitty situation isn't happening. It sounds like you didn't even know how to deal with it, even no. if you'd had that thought. No, I really didn't know how to deal with it, and I had no idea quite how shitty it was. And... Um, you know, he was, as I said, he, you know, he was a nightclub promoter. We were out a lot and there was a lot of drinking. And then I got introduced to other substances. And before I knew it, you know, by the age of, um, by my early 20s, you know, um, it was, it had all gone very badly wrong. Um, yeah. 
So you yeah. work, um, I'm curious, you, you work with women around self-esteem and some of these types of issues. So that says to me, you, you've learned through your own experience in a way. I mean, what was the impact on your own self-esteem during that time? It was horrific. Mm. Um, constantly not treating myself very well. So I wasn't eating well. I wasn't, just lots of ways I wasn't treating myself well and the kinds of things I was telling myself in my head about myself weren't good. I was kind of not in a good space with myself. But then I was allowing him to not treat me well. Mm. Um, and I understand why now, but it's that thing, um, and it might sound very harsh, but it's something that helps me now in life is to think the first time something happens, you're a victim, and after that, you're a volunteer. And I was, I was basically volunteering for this stuff. I need to take responsibility for my part in it, even though, yeah, he was a bad character, right? Um, my self-esteem was very low, very mm. low, and I just was running away from that. I just didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to look at it. But I didn't have any solutions that built me up. All my solutions took me further, further down. And that's what a lot of those kind of quick fix coping strategies, whether they're drinking or shopping or overeating or kind not eating, avoidance, right? whatever they are, they're just designed not to feel right. They're avoidance. But actually, they, they took me further away from feeling good about myself. And that's, I guess, one of the reasons now where I deeply know what it's like to be in that space mm. and what those behaviors are like and the kind of effect. People might think, oh, you know, it's no big deal that when I'm feeling bad about myself that I would um, eat, you know, two tubs of ice cream and a massive bag of crisps. And I'm like, well, Bottom actually, mm. no, 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 no. Because imagine your best friend that you were taking care of and she said, I'm really feeling bad about myself. You wouldn't go, look, shut up. I don't want to hear a word of it. The answer is two tubs of haagen and three bags of kettle chips. You just want to hide away. And hide don't away. Don't talk to anyone don't for three days. Don't talk to anyone, right? I yeah. mean, you know, we're laughing. Yeah. But it's amazing the number of people who, when they feel bad about themselves or they feel unhappy, they, they'll run, they'll suppress, they'll hide. So, so what were you trying to not feel? I was trying to not feel and not face up to how horrific the situation was. was. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and how hopeless I felt, actually. I didn't feel that I could leave. I really didn't, it took me a long time of being, I probably was in that rock bottom space for about four years, if I'm brutally honest. Um, and in that time, you know, I lost a third of my body weight. Um, I looked like a skeleton, I lost my mind. Yeah. I lost my dignity, I lost my sanity, I nearly lost my life. It, it, was horrific. And, and speaking of rock bottoms, um, would you say that was the key rock bottom period in your life? I think it, um, there have been other rock bottoms sure. since then, but that's a good one to focus on. Yeah. Um, because that one um, was, a, was a turning point for me in terms of going, you know what, I don't want, I just can't, can't be like this anymore. Can't, it can't keep going on anymore. So what, yeah, how, I guess at what point did you wake up and begin to make the difficult decisions? How did you learn to get yourself out of that? Because listeners who might be in that space now, um, what, would, what would you tell them? I would say to them, how bad does it have to get? Because it's a choice. It is a choice. At what point did you realize that? Um, I realized, I guess, um, I'd, I'd, I think that I'd, I'd lost a lot of the ability to see that any of it was a choice, and I didn't. 
I wasn't able to, as I can now, yeah. see that the way that my life was, was the result, you know, it's like the sum total of every decision I'd ever made. Here it is, right, here's your but life. In the moment, you felt like a victim. Yeah, like it was being I felt like a to total you. victim. I didn't and feel... And there was no way out? Yeah. Okay. I was, I was very much in victim mode. And um, I was really lucky, actually, um, a situation happened because loads of situations had happened I'd been you know in kinds of crazy situations right. dangerous situations accidents dark assaults stuff. dark shit right yeah dark shit um but I'd always thought why does this stuff always happen to me I'd always been in victim mode oh. I'd never thought any of it was my fault sure. I could not see that I'd placed myself in those situations and it might sound nuts now because it's like really obvious um but at that time, I didn't, I didn't, really, didn't really feel like I had any option. And then I was very lucky because I had a situation where I had a nasty accident. Mm. And it gave me clarity. It gave me, it bought me a bunch of time in hospital to lie there and think about my life. And I made a decision when I was there that things were going to change. And when I came out, um, I found that I couldn't stick to that decision to change on my own and that was pretty horrifying to realize that me on my own that I was going to need more help than just me deciding that things had so you'd to had change. So you had this big epiphany, you're, yeah. you're like, uh, your health's affected, you're in hospital, you're yeah, reflecting yeah, yeah. on everything. I'd, I'd arrived in a helicopter, do you know what I mean? That's not how bad knowing it was. if I was ever going to walk right. again. So this right. is a life or death. Uh, not life or death, okay. but like life changing, could have been life changing. Sure. Um, and, um, and you had some clarity of thought. To major say, clarity. Major clarity. Things need to change. Things need to change. And then when I came out of hospital, um, I couldn't make things change. And I, I could see, I was like, I want to change, but nothing's changing. Nothing is changing. What do I do? And there was this TV program on late at night, and I was up and I was watching it and it was about these girls who'd been in, young, young girls, you know, teenagers who'd been in um, horrible relationships like the one I'd been in, but they'd, things had got a lot worse for them and they were work, basically working on, the, they were street girls working on the streets up in the north of England with major drug habits. Sure. And they were talking about how they felt about themselves and what they were doing to survive. And it was, that was the big moment for me. That TV programme, it was like a message straight to me. It was, it was like being slapped around the face, yeah. stabbed in the heart and punched in the stomach all at the same time. Sounds I violent. just went, mm. Okay, what did I it just, say to you? What I just was the identified with the feelings and I went, oh my God, that, that's how I feel. That's everything. And then it said at the end, if you've been affected by the issues, call this number. And I did immediately. Did okay. I called this number and I went, I need some help. And they directed me towards a place where I could get help. And it wasn't open. It was late at night. Yeah. So I called them the next day and I got to speak to somebody. Nerve. I kept my nerve. Yeah. You know what that gave me, that phone call? It gave me a tiny flicker of hope. And I hadn't had much hope before that. And it gave me a flicker of hope. And from that moment, I clung onto it. And you weren't alone anymore. I found some people who could help me. Mm. Yeah, I was no longer alone. And they, a lot of them had been through what I'd been through, yet they'd found a way out. And I, I kept going, I kept getting help. And that was when I learned quite, it wasn't that long after then. Um, and, you know, I stopped drinking and I stopped taking anything else. And I started to, started to want to live. 
again and wanting to put my life back together, basically. Because I was kind of baffled, like, how has my life got to where it had got to? But wanted to put it back together. And I learned in there, this amazing woman, she said, self-esteem comes from esteemable acts. And it was just such a huge wake-up call. I was like, wow, okay, if I want to feel good about myself, I must do good things. And I always say that now, like, you cannot think your way to a new way of feeling and acting Mm. about yourself but you can act your way to a new way of thinking and feeling about yourself. That has been my experience time and time and time again. And it's a big part of my coaching methodology that you you can say those beautiful affirmations till you're blue in the face, but if your behavior doesn't match up, you're sending the wrong message to yourself. If you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I value you, I honor you, I love you. Yeah. And then all day long, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and noticing all the bits that you think aren't right. Yep. You're trying clothes on in the changing room in a shop going, oh, you know, my stomach's disgusting. Why does my butt look like this? You're eating crap. You're having crappy relationships. Hurting you're yourself. Hurting so yourself, ways. allowing other people still to treat you badly, not showing other pe- not taking responsibility for how other people treat you. Plus you're not living in a way where you're aligned with your values, your spiritual values, your moral values, whatever you want to call, then you're still gonna feel like crap about yourself. It's like this equation. You treat yourself like crap, you allow other people to treat you like crap, you bring crap to the world. Ta-da, you'll feel like crap. You feel like crap, right? Okay. However. So simple when you put it that way. Right. The, and I'm writing a book about this, which I'm really excited about. Are you? Okay. Yeah. What's the book called? Do we um, know? It's going to be called The Fabulous Formula. Love it. publishers let me call it The Fabulous Formula, because it's the formula for feeling fabulous. And there are three parts to the equation. So how you treat yourself, which is love. And this covers your mindset, your diet, your clothes. You know, I'm famous for waving beautiful knickers from stage, saying to people, always wear your best knickers. I remember being in that talk. Exactly, right? (laughs) They were pink. Yes, they were. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, It covers so many things, you know, your self-talk, the way that you touch yourself, your body, not in a sexual way, but could be in a sexual way. Sure. Um, The way, everything. Everything you can do with how you treat yourself should be from a place of complete love. So, so I want to just take you back for a minute. So you asked for help. You yeah. clung on to this bit of hope. And you now have this amazing methodology that influences so many lives. What was the middle bit? Because I imagine... You, that, like, <laughs> that was 15 sorry, years no, ago, right? But I know, but how, like, what's the journey? How do you move from mm. picking up a number to becoming the fabulous person that you are now? Um, showing up every single day and making the decision every day to... Um, be in the light rather than in the dark and I do I take a moment of reflection every single morning well I'm not a perfect human being I'm sure there's been the odd day here and there where I haven't remembered but it sounds like it's built up yeah, over time exactly I have a very um, beautiful morning ritual morning routine mm-hmm. where I remind myself of how I want to behave and operate and treat myself treat others what I want to bring to the world and I ground myself with that first thing in the morning so even though you're so skilled and and you've got so much practice and are influencing so many lives you still do this yourself to set you up yeah i do i do um and i think a lot of it i've picked up along the way you know it's not like you know 15 years ago back in 2002 that you know I, i found this methodology i started doing it and then bang suddenly i'm where i am now it's been a journey and i've had to do a lot of um a lot of a lot of different learning 
um, a lot of different therapy, a lot of different coaching, um, learning from wise people. I, I seek out all the time people who I think have kind of what I want, whether that's wisdom or the way they operate or whatever knowledge that I want and seek to learn from them. That's really important for me. So that constantly I, learning. Yeah, keep going, keep going. And these days it's so easy. There's so much free content. There's, there, there, you can find people on social media. Mm. You can ask questions. You can just learn from how they behave and what you see. Exactly, exactly. Um, but there's still, there's still wisdom from, from little people, you know, right? Because in, in those 15 years since that big pivotal moment, I've got married, I've got divorced. I've had two children. Had children yeah. I've changed my career because at that time I was in banking um, and then I built a brilliant career in banking before I had my children. Yeah. Once I turned my life around, things really took off for me. So I've changed career, I've retrained, I've you know, um, really learned increasingly. Um, I think the key is, that, is two things really. It's, it's been about me learning who the hell I really am on every single level because the more that you know who you are, the more you can honor yourself. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what foods make your body feel good. You don't know what colors light your face up. You don't know what music makes you feel good. I don't know. Well, you you don't know how to have a voice yeah. then if you don't know what it is exactly. to begin with. So, you, so self-discovery followed by honoring that has been the No matter journey. what the, the consequence, or it, there's a bit of fear yes. there, like you, you might yeah. be afraid of rejection or being judged. Exactly, or exactly. Exactly, but, but actually I found that the cost of not honoring myself is massive. Fucking huge. Oh my God, yeah, really fucking huge, yeah. right? Really fucking huge. Um, so that bit's worse than the, the hardness it of gets like, more coming painful. out. Yeah. It gets more painful, and the road, the road has got really narrow, but the view has got much bigger. The possibilities have become much more endless. Sure. But the, when I say the road's got narrower, so I know now that... Um, in, let, let's pick food, right? Why not? Let's just pick one tiny area. Sure. Um, it affects everyone, right? Yeah, exactly. We all have to eat. So I know for me that I need to eat a plant-based, high-nutrient-dense, super awesome diet where I'm not eating crap processed food. I don't... Um, I, my body doesn't like processed wheat, for example. I mean, I'm not gluten intolerant. Some people are, but just processed white crappy wheat, you know, pasta or pizza or yeah. white bread. That really doesn't work for my body. It makes me bloated and tired. Dairy products give me eczema. Um, sugar has quite an addictive and exhausting effect on me. Absolutely. Um, so I don't eat wheat or dairy or sugar. I, and, and sugar was the last to go for me. Um, I, it, it was, you know, um, I think it was 2015, towards the end of 2015 okay. when I kicked sugar, sugar into touch. Um, but How I, hard was that? This is just me learning okay. from you now. The actual giving it up yeah. wasn't hard at all. Being ready to give it up, so the that mindset, was the hard the, bit. The mental thing going, I'm okay to let go of this. Yeah, Ooh. for me, when I'm, when I'm changing behavior and learning a new level of what honoring myself looks like, yeah. sometimes I have a realization, I could just be walking along and I'm like, oh, that thing's not really working anymore. I'll do something about it. Sometimes it's really gentle and lovely like that and kind of like, you know, daffodils in the spring. Other times I'm backed into a corner, sobbing, crying, right. like it's re it has to get really fucking painful before I go, okay, I'm going to change now. All right, 
I'm listening. Yeah, and and so I know you touched on like that was one big rock bottom, but like there's you know so many. You know, I definitely had a rock bottom around sugar a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, I've definitely had relationship rock bottoms, oh, whether I that's friendship, family, or romantic, yeah. where I'm like, okay, you're good <sighs> testing ground. Yeah, other things have got to change. Um, so learning how to put boundaries up, learning how all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but um, not close yourself off. Exactly. connecting and with people and putting yourself out there. Yeah. So I'm really curious for, for, because of the theme of this podcast, um, do you think you could have had the impact that you have on so many people's lives now, had you not had the level of adversity that you faced? I don't know. What I do know is that because I'm very willing to share what I've been through and how I've overcome it. Yeah. And what it's like to be in those different places I've been in, people believe me. Um, it's, oh, I hate this word because it's everywhere at the mm. moment. It's really authentic. Super authentic. It's super authentic. Yeah. I'm an authenticity queen. Yeah, um, but connection. It's about connection for me because when, um, for me, it's more about vulnerability than authenticity okay. and so being connection. Real. So by making myself vulnerable and saying, look, hey, this is who I am. Um, it enables people to go, yeah, me too. And it enables them, it gives them permission mm. to talk about what's actually going on for them. And I think um, because I share who I am and what I've been through, people go, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Like when I, um, at the moment, I seem to be giving quite a lot of talks, both in the corporate sector and the personal development sector on how to manage your emotions. And when I say, talk about like my you know, rock bottom around not facing my emotions all those years ago in my 20s, they're like, okay, she really knows what she's talking about. And when I talk about showing up and my process for, you know, working through emotions now, they're like, okay, well, she clearly knows what she's talking about. Whereas um, I think people who maybe have not had that kind of life adversity, sometimes people think, well, do they really know? Or how, how can they know what I'm going through? Um, and I do find that with, with a lot of my coaching clients, actually, women say to me that they know that, that I'm, I'm the least judgmental person they've ever met and they can literally say anything to me and it'll be fine. Because you're not coming, a place, uh, coming from a place of just theory and if you follow this three-step process, you'll be fine. You're coming from a place of having lived it, tried all these strategies exactly. for yourself and exactly. it's just believable, people connect. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and I will always share if people ask me to, or to illustrate the points that I'm making, okay, this is the time in my life when I learned this. Like, there's a negotiating structure that I was given by an amazing therapist um, that she gave it to me in the kind of, like, a year before I decided that my marriage needed to end mm. um, that I used to great effect to try and negotiate in my marriage. And I'll share the background. I'm like, okay, this is how I came to have this structure. This is when it worked for me. This is why it works. This is the ins and outs of it. And people are like, oh, okay. Because like you're applying it to a real life scenario. Yeah. yeah. So on, on the topic of adversity, and now you have two kids, so I get to ask you this question. I have two, two kids as yeah. well, so I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, if adversity gives us that kind of character, that kind of deep learning and the ability to connect and have impact in that way, do you wish that your kids would face similar adversity in order to build up their character as adults? Um, wow. Right? Do I want them to go through, I want them to have different adversity. I do want them to go through a journey 
Um, but it's a bit like how I hope that I will not make the same mistakes. I hope that I will make new mistakes in mm. order to learn and have new pain points in order to learn new stuff about myself and about life. Um, I wish for them a new journey compared to mine where everything that I've learned, they don't have to go through, but they can learn new stuff. It's yeah. so hard, isn't it? Because we want to protect our kids from the absolute pain that we've experienced. But equally, um, I've, I've you know, had therapy clients where they've been so, so sheltered and okay that actually their inability to achieve relationship um, is, is really in the forefront because they just have no resilience, have never had rejection, and, and hide away for different reasons. So it's just a yeah. funny one, like how do we, I'm trying to let go and let my kids uh, experience their adversity and just be there as a touch point for them. Uh, but it's hard, easier yeah. said than done. Yeah, I, I think it is important for kids to learn that life's unfair, life's tough, not everyone is nice. And it's um, not necessarily your fault if you're exactly. experiencing those things. Right, well something, you know, um, that I know we talked about uh, before we started recording, that my children, and we've all gone through this adversity together the last 18 months, is that some idiot smashed into our car on the motorway mm. 18 months ago. Um, and um, luckily the children were not injured at all, um, but I have been quite badly injured. So we've all gone through this difficult period with major highs and lows of me being physically incapacitated. The first three months I was quite badly mentally um, kind of like cognitively and emotionally out of sorts. I had such bad inflammation, I couldn't think clearly. Plus, I'd been traumatized, so I was totally emotionally locked in. I had no emotional access. And so we, as a family, we've already been through quite a lot. Plus, so we've been much. through the divorce. So, and you're just building up such right. a successful um, career and impact, and it seems to be like an upward trajectory, and then this happens. Interestingly... Um, the business that I thought I was building before the accident is not the business I've been building since the accident because I've had to change my um, understanding of what I'm physically capable of and energetically capable of. And- um, How does that feel? Feels great because I feel like this is exactly the right path now okay. to be focusing on, on speaking and um, whereas before I was not speaking so often but mostly wanted to coach. And now I really feel that my greatest impact is with speaking. So um, your message is even going wider. Exactly. Like coaching one-on-one, -on -one, I love it. Sure. I love getting to know people and being able to guide them towards their own aha moments where they get to change and get to know themselves um, and give them tools where they can like, that, that really make a big impact for them. When I think about it, you know, the children have experienced what it's like to go through the family splitting up and, and all of that. They've experienced welcoming a new family into their lives because their father's remarried and a wonderful woman, Lucy. Mm -hmm. And her and I um, have a very close and mutually supportive relationship. How um, and she has a daughter from previous relationships. So the boys have adjusted to a whole new family sure. coming into their life um, and moving house, which you know, at the time, it was difficult, and for a long time, especially my younger son would say, oh, I really miss my bedroom, you know, or just things like, as adults, we know that when we move house, everything comes with us. They'd never moved house, so they didn't know that all their toys and all the stuff that meant so much to them sure. was coming, and, and it was only when they mentioned it that I was like, oh, I didn't tell them that, of course, all their toys are coming too. They were really worried about it. 
Um, and then, so I guess they, you know, they've experienced all their own little challenges. Um, and, and it does help them too. Like when um, one of my older sons, one of his best friends, um, parents announced that they were splitting up he wanted to talk to my son because he knows that we've been through it and come out the other he's side got wisdom. and so he's got wisdom to share and how cool is that yeah and and i think that because they see me do that talk honestly about what's sure. going on and and that that actually it can be a gift and it can be healing and it can be helpful for other people they just do it automatically they're very emotionally savvy actually my boys i hear that all the time from their school teachers which is super awesome that is amazing especially yeah. boys it's yes. amazing to give them that gift exactly to be and and interestingly my younger son was having trouble separating from me um at school he just went through a phase where he didn't want to say goodbye in the mornings and um, one of the teachers said, well, why don't we give him like a sticker chart? And if he does three days in a row without being upset, he can get a little prize. And she talked to him about it. And he just looked at her like she was some kind of idiot <laughs> and said, what, you're going to reward me for hiding my emotions? That's a really bad idea. We should find a way that I can cope with how I'm feeling, not find a way where I hide how I'm feeling and get a prize for that. And I you just went... You should run the school. I was like, yes! <laughs> I, you know, I was like, yes, I have now succeeded as a parent. I, yeah. And the school were kind of like completely and utterly blown away that a child of seven sure. would come, up, come out with a statement like that. But actually, like, fair play to him. Absolutely. You know, that he understood entirely that this was not about him finding a way to suppress his feelings. What a great lesson at such a young age. Um, so I've yeah. just got a couple final questions okay. before we close. One of them is, it will sound a bit random, but if, if your life was a book, what would this chapter be called? This chapter right now? Yeah. It would be called Trust. Because this chapter right now is about trusting um, trusting in the bigger plan and knowing that I don't need to know what all of it is right now but that it is all going to work out and that might sound kind of crazy because on the outside right on social media and everything it looks all pretty amazing and like yeah, my career is going, going great on. guns but actually on the inside you know I'm battling major injuries and pain and I don't know if that's ever going to be resolved and that's quite challenging so trusting it's about trusting the process um, and um, <sighs> Just, just yeah. so the listeners know, we've had a dog running yeah, around. Yeah, my puppy. Yeah, what's what's the puppy's name? Fizzy. So Fizzy's been part She's of this ten interview. Months old. She's been in the garden she, yeah. mostly, but because my neighbour started um, chainsawing his tree, <laughs> that was unexpected. We shut the garden door, and she's inside, and she's now slightly growling for treats. We dealt with the adversity well, I think. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Um, any final bits of advice? So what advice would you give to your own sort of 22, 23-year-old self? Be true to yourself. Do not be afraid to be true to yourself. At all times, honour yourself. Trust yourself. Trust your feelings. Trust your thoughts. Trust your instincts. And stand up for yourself. Be your own biggest cheerleader. Because like in this life, very often if you don't cheerlead for yourself, no one else is going to. And it's about that thing of taking responsibility for yourself. Um, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and what do you think the first step could be for somebody who might be in a similar situation where they actually need help and they're unable to do it for themselves? What, what would be a first step? 
is to, the first step, if you feel cornered, stuck, whatever, and you know you can't um, get yourself out of the situation, is to find someone that you really trust um, and ask them to help you. It could be your best friend, it could be a trusted teacher, it could be a parent, it could be a doctor. It doesn't matter who it is. Or make that first step with somebody that you trust to help you. Say it you. out loud. Yeah, say what's ask going on yes. and ask them to help you. And it might be that, you know, you talk to your best friend and you know that they're not a psychiatrist or an addiction specialist or a relations specialist or anything. Sure. But you might just say to them, this situation, I really need help. Can you help me find the help that I need? Or can, yeah. So that active, uh, saying it out loud, asking for help can allow you to accept that maybe you need a bit of backup at that time. Exactly, exactly. And then it just means you've got someone in your corner who's going to say, for example, if it's whatever it is, who, if you realise you need some maybe some, some therapy, for example, where having spoken to a friend about it who said, OK, well, I'll help you find a list of therapists locally. And then, then a week later calls you and says, did you call them yet? Someone who's holding you so accountable. So checks up, OK. Yeah, that can help. Lovely. Massively. Accountability is really powerful. It really helps. Um, and so when's your book coming out? Do, do we know it's roughly? It's a good question. No, I'm just putting the finishing touches onto a very mini version of it that will be um, for anybody new who comes to my website and wants to get my newsletters, which I send uh, two, three, four times a month, um, depending on when I have something important to say. I don't send them unless I have something important to say. I love that. I do, yeah, I'm not a fan of like, it must be every week. No, sure. only when there's and something important And so where can people find you? Um, okay, so my website is harrietwhaleycohen.com. Um, shall I spell that? We'll, we'll put it in the notes awesome. as well so people yeah. can access it. So there's yeah. that, and then my Twitter and Instagram handle is at harriet underscore wc. And um, I'm on Facebook too. People should feel free to stalk the hell out of me on social media. They're welcome to do that. People can find you. Yeah. Um, And finally, I just want to express absolute gratitude and thanks for you being open with us, putting yourself out there and jumping in at the early stages of my podcast. We know this is going to go out there. So many people are interested in telling their stories and listening and are excited about it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsvore.com for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.